We're in a series, and we've really just begun. We're, we've had a couple of sermons initially about um, Paul's letter to this small town that's outside of this bigger uh, metropolis of Ephesus. So the, the gospel comes to Ephesus, and then from there, a guy named Epaphras hears the gospel in Ephesus, goes back to his own hometown, which is just uh, several miles away from Ephesus, and he preaches the same gospel he 've heard from the Apostle Paul to his friends, to his family, to his community in Colossae, and then he goes back and gives a report to the apostle paul who 's now in prison in Rome, and while Paul is imprisoned in Rome, he writes this letter because he never got a chance to see the, these folks, so he 's coming back with a letter of encouragement of instruction, and so we 're making our way through this really great letter. And this morning, we're going to begin with chapter 1, verse 9, and go through verse 14. And then I also just want to pick up on a couple of other verses in chapter 3, which I will um, help you see later on in the sermon. So let's stand together as we read God's Word from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, of God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has transferred us from the kingdom of his beloved Son, and in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Then in chapter 3, verse 10, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You may be seated and let's take a few minutes to a few moments to reflect together on God's word. This picture hung on the wall of my grandfather's house. And he had sort of a separate dining room, but inside the kitchen was a space like some of you all might have. It's like the kitchen table, which is really where most of the the meals were. And when I came in the door through, which you came usually through the, the kitchen door into their house, you know, this was on the wall. This is the sort of the first thing that you see. And it was just a, an image like you might have of going to your home or going to your grandparents' home. There's certain things that just sort of cat, capture your attention and always remind you of them. And so my grandfather would take me to rodeos. We, we lived together with him for a year in uh, a little town outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. 
And he would take me to rodeos and he would sit there and tell me about how he had arrived in Arkansas on covered wagon. And just the stories he would tell were just hard to even for me to imagine how you could, as a young man, arrive in Arkansas on a covered wagon. And he was a judge in this little county seat. So he had a, a picture of himself in a black robe and a gavel. And on his desk, he had a picture of himself standing next to Harry Truman that he was very proud about. And everyone in town called him the judge. He was the judge. In fact, I don't remember anybody, including his wife, calling him anything else but the judge. Here comes the judge. Here's the judge. It's always about the judge. And um, he was, in his position, in his stature, he was the biggest man I've ever met. He wasn't just the, just the tallest guy, but in his position, as I looked at him, he seemed like larger than life to me. And still in my mind, even, even though I'm 51, he still seems larger than anybody else that I knew. He would walk down the streets of this little sort of Mayberry RFD kind of town and everybody, hey, judge, what's up, judge? And when we sat down at this little kitchen table, only the judge prayed for the meals. Nobody else prayed. And he had this kind of deep voice. And I pictured him as the judge. And when he started praying, every eye closed, every head bowed. And every once in a while, I'd look up. Because the way he prayed, you thought, Jesus might be here. I mean, he might be standing. It just sounds like he's talking to somebody right here. And the judge is talking to the judge. And I didn't want to miss out by having my eyes closed in case in Benton, Arkansas, the judge happened to be talking to God who was standing right there. So I just give it a little peek. Jesus show up. Yeah, no, I don't care. Okay. Nobody caught me. I don't know how the people in Colossae felt. This little church in this little town outside of this big town, it's totally overshadowed by Ephesus. But, but some guy named Epaphras has come to this church, and he's taught them about Jesus. And he says, hey, I've heard it from this guy named the Apostle Paul. And he tells them about the Apostle Paul's stories, not only of his life and his intersection with Christ, but then his intersection with Christ himself. And here he gets to hand deliver this letter back to this town. And in these opening verses, the, the, the people in Colossae, they got to hear the content of the Apostle Paul's prayer. And I don't know how they might have felt, but I just sort of imagine they feel like a way I felt when the judge started praying. Here, the Apostle Paul, whom we've never met, he's taken time. He's in a prison cell. He's thinking about us, and he's going to write down his prayers specifically for us. And he's going to give us the content of his prayers. And so what we have this morning is we have a very detailed outline of the content of the Apostle's prayer for the people in Colossae. And so that's what we're going to be looking at and studying just these next few minutes. And as we just dissect these six verses, my urging for you is not just to listen to information, but to allow the information to cause transformation in the way that you pray. 
all of us can probably grow in maturity in how we pray and in what we pray for. And we can grow by looking at this particular prayer and using it as a model, as a, as a context for the content of our own prayers. And so I'm, I'm, I'm urging especially dads and granddads, your children, your grandchildren are being shaped in their life of prayer by listening to you pray. The content of their prayers tomorrow is due to the content of your prayers today. So here I am, I'm 51. My grandfather might have died 35, 40 years ago. The, the content of his prayer is still shaping the content of my prayer. And the content of my prayer is shaping the content of my children's prayers. So, so dads and granddads, when you have a chance to pray, increase what you're praying for in this biblical tone so that your children are blessed by these same kinds of rich values that, that Paul displays in his prayer. So let me just first dissect the prayer. It's very easy to see. The main thrust of Paul's prayer here is in verse 9. We've heard about you. We've heard about, it from, heard about your faith from Epaphras. We talked about that last week. And we've not ceased praying for you. And here's the main thrust. We've not ceased asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So it's the, the, this main point for these people is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's the title and sort of the subtitle, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then armed with that knowledge, verse 10, the second part, if he has sort of a two-pronged prayer, the first part being filled with the knowledge of God, the second verse 10, that now that you're armed with that knowledge, you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. First, be armed with the knowledge, and secondly, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul's prayer begins with transformation in their minds, knowledge, and then it moves to transformation in their feet. So you might say Paul's prayer is from head to toe. He's first trying to help them see something, help them get something in their mind, and then he's saying this, this knowledge has got to transfer into your feet. It's got to Got to make a difference in the way you walk. And then Paul talks about this specific walk in four steps. And in the Greek, they're all particles. They're all one words, one word. And you see them here in the text, bearing fruit. So imagining, you're imagining Paul saying, I, I want you to have this knowledge of God. I want it to affect the way you walk. And then here's the first four steps of your walk. Bearing fruit. Increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, and giving thanks. That's his four-step plan here. Now that you know something, it's transforming your feet, and these are the specific ways I'm praying that it would transform your lives, that you would bear fruit, that you would increase in knowledge, that you would be given strength and giving thanks. Okay, so that's, that's dissecting it. Now let's try to add some content to uh, what we've said here. First, we're, Paul's prayer is that we'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will. This is, the, this is the heart of Paul's prayer. This is the very first thing on Paul's prayer list. Let me say that again. 
Being filled with the knowledge of God is the very first thing on Paul's prayer list. It's not health. It's not safety. It's not comfort. It's not a car. It's not a house. It's not a job. The first thing he's praying for these people is that they would have the knowledge of God's will. It's at the very top of his prayer list, wisdom. He's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And this first prayer, this, the thrust of this wisdom, is an echo of previous prayers in the Bible. You might remember Solomon. Solomon, the great king who follows after David. He's David's son. And he's taking over the reins of leading this whole country, Israel. And he's before God, and God says this. Imagine imagining God coming to you and, ask, and saying this. God appeared to Solomon, Second Chronicles chapter 1, and he says this to Solomon, Ask whatever you want me to give to you. Imagine if God says that. He comes to you in however form or fashion. He comes before Solomon and says, Solomon, you're the king. You're the, you're the head. You're the, you're the leader. Now, you can ask whatever. Here I am, almighty God, you can ask whatever you want. What do you want? I can think of a lot of things I might ask for at that moment. And here's what Solomon says. Solomon answered, give me wisdom and knowledge. See, there's all kinds of other things, and they may, I might have some value, but Solomon knows, I gotta know the mind of God. I gotta know what God's doing. I gotta know what He's up to. And then I've gotta have the knowledge that, that can motivate my feet to move in that direction. Matthew chapter 6. God in the flesh shows up in the person of Jesus, and He says this on the Sermon on the Mount, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Seek first God's kingdom, God's will. What, what, what is God doing on earth? Where is he going? I want to know that first. That's the first thing. And then once I know that, that everything else would be added to me. But the first thing from King Solomon is wisdom. The first thing Jesus says is pray that you would understand what God's doing, that you would have a certain knowledge. And Paul here is just echoing that same prayer for wisdom. The word filled, be filled with the knowledge is an interesting Greek word. It means fully equipped. And it's a word picture. And the word picture is a ship that's being packed and ready for, to be set sail. So in his mind, Paul's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God. They would be like a, a, a church would be like a ship and it would be packed down. It would be loaded down with the knowledge of God because it's going to set sail. And as I, I thought about this image, this, this ship being loaded with cargo, I, I thought of that sort of two pictures. One, I thought about sitting on a plane and you watch the guys outside of your window, you know, and they're loading the baggage on the plane. And so essentially that's what the Apostle Paul's doing. This church is sitting on the plane. They're just about ready to set sail. And here's the Apostle Paul. I'm trying to get as much baggage on this plane, as much knowledge, as much wisdom as I can, because they're going to set sail. And when they set sail out into their own journey, into their own adventure with Christ, they're going to need all the knowledge they can possibly have. So Paul, for the rest of this letter, is really like this baggage handler, and he's trying to load on these bags. 
And then I thought, well, that's a great picture, Paul, but it's not just, you know, when I think of bags, I think of bags like this, like bags you can throw. Not that people throw your luggage in the, you know, the airport, but it's really more like the crane operator at the state port taking these giant containers and putting them on a ship. Because what Paul is going to do for the rest of the letter, he's going to pick up these massive containers of theology, of doctrine. And he's going to start loading this church up with these containers. They have an incredible journey ahead. Paul understands it. He can already see as a person in prison, a transition is quickly on the horizon. So he's got to load up this church with all these pieces of cargo and we could, we'll read through most of them in, in our study together, but let's just look at a couple. Chapter 1, verse 15. First container. Jesus is the invisible image of the, of the, the, the visible image of the invisible God. What a massive container. Before you take off, church, make sure you understand that Jesus is God in the flesh. Let's make sure that's the first container on. Because as you go proclaim the gospel, that's what you're proclaiming. That God has come. Chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. See, you're going to set sail and it's going to be some choppy waters out there. And I want to load on a container that, you, that makes sure you know the wisdom and knowledge of God. So that when somebody comes in with some sort of... A sideways talk, you would not be captivated by that. Chapter 2, verse 16. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to festival, new moon, or Sabbath. These things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. See, there's going to be all kinds of shadows out there that look real. And people are going to say, no, the real thing is these things. And I want you to know that there's a container on your ship that says, no, what's real, what's most important, what's critical is Christ. He's the real substance. So I want to load you down with that piece of container. Chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, idolatry. You're going to set sail. You're going to be asked to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You've got to put, put some things aside. There's some containers that you have you've got to throw overboard. Chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Chapter 4, verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer. So Paul is this baggage handler, this crane operator. He's, he's trying to load up the wisdom of God into his church. Moms, dads, community group leaders, teachers, preachers. That's, that's what we're doing. When I meet with a group of guys on Friday, I'm a baggage handler. Trying to take these giant containers and put them on them because they're going to set sail. If you're a teacher in the second grade in the next hour, that's what you're going to do. You're going to take some information. You're going to take a big container of information and put it in a, in a place that a second grader can have. And you're going to put it in their mind because eventually one day they're going to set sail. 
Moms and dads, especially if you have a teenager, you know this. They're just about ready to set sail. And you probably feel like you're scrambling like, oh my gosh, I got some, I got some more loading to do before you get out. So that's, that's the thrust of Paul's prayer. He, he's, he's trying to load up these people with the knowledge of God. He's praying for this process. And, and what an outstanding opening to a prayer. He's not praying for the things of the world. He's praying for wisdom. So when you think about your prayers... What's the first thing that comes out? What's the first thing on your list for your, your, your community group, for your son, for your daughter, for somebody else that you're praying with? For Paul, it was, he knew that the wisdom of God was the, the first perfect thing to set, set out before this group in Colossae. Second, now loaded down with this knowledge of God, then Paul prays that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You're, you're, you're a ship, you've been loaded up, and now you're setting sail, you're walking in some way, and I'm praying that you would walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And you know this term walk is a very familiar term used in Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses talking to his people. He's just about ready to leave the scene. These people are now going to take the knowledge that Moses has given them, especially from Mount Sinai. They're going to set sail in a new way. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways. I'm setting before you this information. I put it into your mind. Now walk, walk in his ways. Jeremiah 6, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths and ask where the good way is and walk in that way. Psalm 1, you know this? Blessed is the man who does not walk in a certain way, but does walk in a different way. What is that way? That he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. So this walking out, you have this information, it leads to transformation. John, 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in God must walk as Jesus did. So for Paul and everyone else in the Bible, information always leads to transformation. Belief always affects behavior. Doctrine always dictates duty. Wisdom always changes the way you walk. See, Paul doesn't know another form of Christianity where you just have belief and no behavior. If you really have belief, then you will have behavior. There's no question about it for Paul. And he's saying, I'm praying for this wisdom, and then I'm praying that you'd walk in a different way. It would change your behavior. The great evangelist D.L. Moody once said, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. Isn't that a great picture? Every Bible should just have shoe leather on it. In other words, it's not just something you stick on up on your shelf. You stick it on your feet. When you read about the Lord, it affects the way that you would walk it out in your life. It's exactly what Paul's saying. He's, he's filling their minds with the knowledge of God, and then he's asking or praying for the right movement of their feet. Yet aren't you glad that Paul doesn't say this in verse 10, walk in a manner to be worthy of the Lord. Oh, that little phrase, 
Makes a big difference, does it not? Aren't you glad he doesn't say, walk in a manner to be worthy of the Lord? Let me say that one more time, and you say amen after I get to the end of it, okay? Aren't you glad the Apostle Paul doesn't say, walk in a manner to be worthy of the Lord? Yes, amen. I'm so glad he doesn't say that. I'm so glad he doesn't say that because you and I are not worthy by ourselves. We cannot possibly be worthy. And he says here in these verses, we are worthy because Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom. We are worthy because in Jesus we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. We are worthy because Jesus has reconciled us by making peace by the blood of the cross. That's why we're worthy. And and Jesus has done everything, and the result of Jesus having done everything, it's nearly impossible to believe. And maybe if it wasn't written down, we wouldn't even believe this. But verse 22, Jesus then presents us holy, blameless, and above above reproach before God. Isn't that incredible? We need a great defense. And Jesus is this defense. And he's going to present me sorry, sour, dark, sinful Paul Phillips before God and say, God, here's one of your children. He's holy. He's blameless. You will not find anything to accuse him of. Incredible. Incredible. Now that you have that, now that you know that, then because of that, then walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. If you're here today and you've spent your whole life trying to walk in a manner to be worthy, you've missed the whole gospel. You've missed the entire point of the Bible. The entire point of the Bible is to tell you how God is coming from, for you. It's not telling you how you get to God because you don't want to have anything to do with God. You are dead in your sins. You are an enemy to God in your mind. You are walking the other way. And we need a God who will come all the way and arrest us and bring us all the way home. That's the gospel. It's not information to say, hey, here's some instructions on how to get to me. No, here's some instructions on how I got to you. And now that you celebrate that, then you live You walk in a totally different way out of the love and grace that God has provided. So this is this two-pronged prayer. I want you to have this knowledge, and then I want that knowledge to transform your feet. I want you to walk in a certain way. And then he outlines four particular steps here. And we really only have time to talk about the first one. First one, bearing fruit. Paul assumes that if you are filled with the knowledge of God, then you will bear fruit. It's just, an, it's just an, uh, an automatic for Paul. There's not another way. If you're filled with knowledge, if you really understand the gospel, then you are going to bear fruit in some form, in some fashion. And like the term walk, bearing fruit, very biblically rich term, Psalm 1 We talked about this. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And he is like, what is he like? He's like a tree planted by streams of living water, which which bears fruit 
It bears fruit in season. If you're, if you're planted by this stream of living, life-giving water to the Word of God, then you will, you will be a person who's bearing fruit. John 15, Jesus in his conversation, one of his last conversations with the disciples, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last And although that's a great connection, most scholars think or make a connection with this idea of Paul bearing fruit in Colossians. They don't connect it back to Jesus in in John 15. They don't connect it back to Psalm 1. They they connect it back to Genesis chapter 1. They connect Paul's idea of bearing fruit here in Colossians back to Genesis chapter 1, which says this, so God created man In his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. I have put my image on you, and now I want you to go and be fruitful. I want you to take my image and spread it all across the globe. So in the beginning, God created mankind in his own image. He breathed life into mankind. And then he gave this mandate to multiply his image across the whole earth. And Paul really is saying the same thing. So in Colossians 3.10, which we read, he says, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after. Put on your new self. How do you put on the new self? By being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. Do you see that? So God now in his recreation with Christ, he's now breathing life into you. His Holy Spirit is breathing life into you. He's putting his image on you. And he's saying, now you take that image and multiply it all over the earth. Not by procreation, but by, but by proclamation. You take this new image of Christ in you and you proclaim it all across the earth. That's the... The Great Commission. So, so my point here for Paul's prayer for the church. He's, he's sitting in his prison cell. He's thinking of this church. He's praying, God, would you give them wisdom? Would that wisdom cause them to walk in a different way? And the first way I want them to walk differently is I want them to go out and bear fruit and bear fruit in your image. When, when, when they walk out in their homes, when they walk in, out in their community, when they walk out into the next town over, over from them, they're, they're, they're image bearers. They're bringing the image of Christ into their workplace, into their community. William Carey. William Carey lived in England in the late 1700s. And he's known as the father of modern missions. The father of the modern missions movement in england he was a poor shoemaker and his biographer said this about william carey carey was a man who apart from his unqualified commitment to god would have lived a very mediocre existence how'd you like to have that as your biographer you know if it wasn't if it wasn't for god you'd just be mediocre nobody probably even know who you are you just have a mediocre existence. But there's a, little, there's a pretty big asterisk in that sentence, is there not? Carrie would have lived an, an, a mediocre existence apart from 
His connection to God. His connection to God made all the difference. It reminds me in, I think it's in Acts chapter 4. Remember Paul, uh, Peter, and John are proclaiming the gospel. And Peter ends this sermon with this thunderous statement. Salvation is found in no one else except for Christ alone. And it just thunders out at the end of his sermon. And all the people around saying, these people, these two men, Peter and John, they're unschooled and ordinary. Except... I'm noting they've been with Jesus. See, they're very mediocre in their existence. They're unschooled and they're ordinary. Except something, they've been with Jesus. Like William Carey was connected to God in a way that totally transformed the way that he lived. And so William Carey, once at a meeting, because he was interested in missions, he was trying to sort of energize the group about missions. And he's in a group of ministers, and one of the ministers asked William to, to sit down and stop worrying about people in other nations who didn't know Jesus. So he's in a missions meeting. Hey, I'm, I'm concerned about people in India. I'm concerned about people in other places. They don't know Jesus. They still live in the domain of darkness. Hey, young man, sit down. Stop worrying about people who don't know Jesus. What a giant for Carrie to try to overcome at that moment. But see, he had an unqualified commitment to God. Not an unqualified commitment to the minister's meeting. And so a few years later, June 13, 1793, Carrie, Carrie, like a ship, cargo loaded, the gospel. Jesus has come. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He's rescuing. He's reconciling. He's coming for. He's running for people who are in the domain of darkness. He takes the ropes and the chains off of England and sets sails and spends the rest of his life ministering to people in India. Who today, the church goes back to when William Carey landed on their shores. And so I want you to know what my prayer is for most of you here, especially if you're a member of Christ Community Church. My prayer is is this, that you would have the knowledge of God, that you would walk in a manner worthy of, but because you, most of you have so much knowledge, whether you think you do or not, you have so much precious cargo sitting on deck. My main prayer for you is to set sail. Set sail. Dads and granddads, set sail in praying for your family. Set sail. Don't wait any longer. Don't think, I've got to get some more cargo. You've got enough cargo. It's time to set sail. If you're in the business community, male or female, set sail. You're in that place for some particular divine reason. Set sail into the life of somebody who sits next to you, who is around you, and help them see who you are in Christ. Take that image into that workplace so that whatever you do, 
They see Christ. College students, set sail into your campus. Set sail into your dorm room or into your classroom. You've got to know some people that are living in the domain of darkness. And you're standing there like a ship, fully loaded. Unload some of that cargo on them. Set sail older women into the lives of younger women. Set sail older men into the lives of younger women. Younger men. Set. That's. Okay. Let's. Can you back up the tape on that? Older women to younger women. Older men to younger men. Some of you are like, I heard the preacher say. I've been looking for a date. There's a lot of college students here. Christ Community Church sets sail into your community. We have the riches of the glory of God contained in this book and in this building. And our city lives in the domain of darkness. And it's waiting for us, for you, to set sail. Fifty kids come on Wednesdays. For tutoring. They all live in royal palms. Set sail. Set sail into one of just one of their lives. Set sail maybe just for two or three here. From America. Into a different culture. Who lives in the domain of darkness, dying for somebody to set sail from this place and arrive at their shores with the gospel. Paul's prayer, my hope is that it it informs your prayers. As you pray for others, you would pray for, they, they would be filled with wisdom. That wisdom would cause them to walk in a different way. And one of the main ways they would walk is they would set sail with the image of Christ in them into a dark and dying world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is my prayer for your people. We're a little flock in a small town, just like the church at Colossae. We have the Word of God from the Apostle Paul now pouring into our lives here this morning. And I'm praying for these people that they would be filled with the knowledge of God. That that knowledge would transform their feet and the way they live. For for some people here, they're going to have to let some things go. They're going to have to put some things aside. They're going to have to dump off some old cargo and put on some new cargo. But for so many people here, they have the cargo of Christ. They have enough. And you say, after bearing fruit, that they would increase in the knowledge of God. So they have enough to move out, to step out, to set sail. To not wait any longer to to pray for your children or your grandchildren. To not wait any longer to reach out in our culture, our community, our city. But to set sail, I pray that you would just set sail these people here today, all across, wherever they're from today, they would set sail for your glory. The time is brief. We're just a little vapor. 
Today is the day to set sail. Would you light a flame like you did in Will and Carrie's heart, in our own heart? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.